0: Okay, 3, two, one. oh my goodness, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day, my name is Zach Schomler. this is Strong Opinion Sports, thank you so very much for tuning in, today is Wednesday, October 31st, and uh, at March, that's, that's a significant date for a couple of reasons, first of all it's Halloween, and uh, I hope you know I will never ever dress up. For Halloween the rest of my life. I am 21. I'm done with that phase. I really hope to never do that. Uh, I guess maybe if my kids are little and little six-year-olds and they're like, Daddy, dress up. I could see myself doing that. But otherwise, you'll never see (laughs) the rest of my life. I promise you'll never see me dressed up in a Halloween costume. We are also 10 days away from John Bellion releasing his new album. I'm very excited. That's my favorite uh, musical artist in the entire world. If you're a fan of John Bellion, please tell me that because um, I have I have so many YouTube comments right now, and they're all awful, and so if you could leave me something nice, that'd be great. And that's the last thing I want to say to kind of warm up the show, is that I apologize. Um, I have, if you've commented something on YouTube in the last week, haven't seen it, haven't paid any attention, I apologize. I have kind of a habit, um, you know, if you look on my phone, I have 194... Uh, now 196 unread text messages. And, uh, I just, I get overwhelmed and I get behind and I kind of give up on ever trying to catch up. And I'm kind of there with YouTube comments where like, they're all negative. Everyone's mad at me all the time. And I'm like, I just, I, I struggle to have the energy to read this. And so if you want to tell me you love the show or have good ideas, honestly, just DM me on Instagram. That's probably the best way to reach me anyways. Cause otherwise I'm just, I mean, it's, it's really getting toxic. I want to start with the city of Cleveland. Um, my goodness. <laughs> Cleveland, Cleveland, oh, Cleveland. Um, so the Cavaliers are 0 6, and what they decided to do was fire their head coach Teron Liu. So they did six games into the year. Eight games into the Browns season, the Browns were two, five, and one, and they decided to fire their head coach Hugh Jackson. Um, you know, I have a lot to say about both situations. Uh, They're not the same situation at all. One's a basketball team, one's much farther into the season with the Browns. But there are a lot of similar themes, and I want to discuss the first one, which is expectations. I don't know that it's fair to say that the entire city of Cleveland has unhelpful expectations, but I think it's something along those lines. I mean, anytime you're firing coaches midseason, that's not a good sign. And it's a sign that's indicative of a lot of problems. And I think the first problem is we have to ask the question, do the Browns have unhelpful expectations? Do the Cavaliers, do they have unhelpful expectations? Do the people in the city of Cleveland as a whole, are their expectations unhelpful? And I don't mean unrealistic. I'm not saying it's unrealistic for the Browns to win or for the Cavaliers to win or for them to be good. But is it maybe not not helpful that you expect the Browns to go 16-0? and No one really believed that, but... I look at what happened to the Brown season, and they're 2-5-1, and one, and I go, is that really just kind of what we all thought was going to happen? Here's what I want to say first, honestly, is this. I want to touch on that idea of expectations. Um, I have really struggled with having unhelpful expectations in my life. Uh, you, you may not know. A lot of people don't know. I get this comment all the time. I want to listen to someone who played football in their life. Uh, hello. I, <laughs> I played football. I have uh, a ton of records in the state of Washington. Um, look me up. I'm I'm comfortable with that. I played college football for one year and, uh, instead of going to a giant school and walking on or a medium sized school, um, I chose to go to a really small school, a school that said they wanted me because I wanted to play and I had the expectation I'm going to play immediately. And when I didn't, when one game into the season, two went by three and my family's having all these issues, my brother's struggling and, um, I left because I couldn't handle that. My expectations were here, and I was getting this, and I I didn't handle that well, and I quit football, and I have massive regret about it, or or the time I went to college. I left my job in LA to come to college and thought, I'm going to learn all about video production, and guess what? It didn't happen, and my expectations were shattered, and it hurt a lot, and I didn't deal with disappointment very well, and so the first question we have to ask is, are the Browns and the Cavaliers reacting to unhelpful expectations? were they really disappointed? Were they, I, I don't think there's a way that the Cavaliers were like, we're 0-6, we're so disappointed with our record, we're done. But I don't know that that's even true with the, Cav- with the Cleveland Browns. I want to say this. If the Cleveland Browns fired their head coach, Hugh Jackson, because he was 2-5-1, and one, they're idiots. And if the Cavaliers fired their coach because the Cavs were 0-6, everyone in the Cavaliers is also, <laughs> that front office is also full of idiots. I want to start with the Cavs. The Cavs lost LeBron James. They have an older roster built to win with LeBron. Of course they're 0-6. What did you expect? It reminds me of when the Phoenix Suns fired Earl Watson. And I was like, why not just fire him before the season? You went all the way through training camp and the preseason, all this work just to bail now? I don't know why the Cavaliers bailed on Tyron Liu after six games But that's not a good look. That's really, I don't think it's because of the record. There's no way. It's got to be more than that. But that's a lot of dysfunction in one sentence. Six games in, you're done. I don't care who you are. It may not be going right. How did you get into this place? It's not a good place to be. Then I think of the Cleveland Browns. If you're a Cleveland Browns fan in the preseason and you look, hmm. and our first eight games, we play the Steelers once and then the Steelers again. So, twice in our first eight games, we're going to play the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're also going to play Drew Brees and the Saints. We're going to play the Ravens and the Chargers. If I looked at that and said, hmm, we're probably going to lose our first five of eight games. Well, they're two, five, and one. Sounds about right. I don't know. Remember, you're two, five, and one with a rookie quarterback. What did you expect? And not like the Browns aren't fighting. The Browns have been in four overtime games. Six of their eight games have been within one score. This team is fighting really hard. And that's why I want to say this. I do not believe that two, five, and one is why Hugh Jackson was fired. I know it's the easy scapegoat. It's where everyone goes to. It's where I immediately thought. I was like, wow, the Browns are idiots. They'd fire their coach after just a two, five, and one season. I mean, the Jets coach, he still has his job. They're three and five. The Cardinals have a rookie quarterback. They're two and six. That guy's still employed. And I think that's too quick. You can't say it's all because of the record. Here's why I think Hugh Jackson was fired. This is my belief. Uh, My brother and I would fight as kids. We'd make all a bunch of noise, beat each other up, get really angry. And my dad would say, screw it. Both of you guys go to your room. I'm done dealing with this. He'd get fed up. And there's key info here. It was not just Hugh Jackson that was fired by the Cleveland Browns. It was also the Browns offensive coordinator, Todd Haley. I think it's possible that the Browns and their organization said, we're tired of this fighting between Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson. Out with both of you. We all saw it. We all watched hard knocks. Saw that moment. I've sat in your chair. There's that weird. It didn't seem like they had a great relationship. And I think that dysfunctional relationship between Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson, the Browns decided, no more of that. We're done. They canned both of them. And also look, I understand. <laughs> you know, Hugh Jackson is 3, 36, and 1 as the Cleveland Browns head coach. Yeah, it's not doesn't bode well. I understand why the Browns fired their head coach. I totally get it. I also don't really agree with it. I mean, I, I'm, call me conservative. I don't like when you fire a coach midseason. I rarely think it's a good move unless the guy's doing horrible stuff like behind the scenes, really bad stuff. And maybe that's what it was because that's got to be what it is, right? It can't be that they were two, five, and one. I just don't understand that. This is why I would not have fired Hugh Jackson. So I understand it, but I don't agree with it. What's next? If you're the Cleveland Browns, what is your next move? I don't know that they have one. Sadly, I wish they did. I wish I thought they did. This does not seem like a calculated move. If it is, if I'm wrong, happy to be wrong. But I ask you, if you're a Browns fan, if you're John Dorsey, what's your plan? What's next? It doesn't seem like they have one. This does not feel like a calculated move by the Cleveland Browns. In fact, it seems emotional. Ah, We're done. 2-5-1. and one. Get out of here. We're done. You guys are fighting. Ah, get out of here. Again, I would argue they tied the Steelers. They lost to Drew Brees because of their kicker. They got rid of that guy, Zane Gonzalez. They played in four overtime games. They have a rookie quarterback. And in six of the eight games the Browns have played, they've been within a score. They've all been highly competitive. I understand that Hugh Jackson was one in 31 in the last two years. But I don't think it's fair to judge Hugh Jackson without a quarterback. So that's why I don't know that's all it is. I think it is a lot of the fighting in between the coaches. But again, I ask, what is your plan? A lot of Browns people are typing very angry comments. Of course it was good to fire Hugh Jackson. Ah. Take a deep breath. All I ask, what is the plan in Cleveland? If you have a plan, I support this move. If you don't, you should have stuck with Hugh Jackson. Because right now, Greg Williams... The the former defensive coordinator is now the interim head coach. He's the guy who was at the top of Bounty Gate. Yeah, that guy. He's now the head coach of the Browns. Great. Awesome. He's also not an offensive guy. And you have a rookie quarterback who needs help, who needs a coach. And maybe the answer is Lincoln Riley, the coach at Oklahoma. Maybe it's Urban Meyer. A lot of people throw Urban Meyer's name out there. So the top candidates for the Browns job are the Oklahoma coach and the Ohio State coach. Two teams ranked in the top 10, winning a bunch of games, doing incredibly well. Look, I've I've worked jobs scrubbing toilets, and what I learned from that experience is you don't want a job scrubbing toilets, and you don't leave a good job for a job scrubbing toilets. The Cleveland Browns is a job (laughs) scrubbing toilets. It's not a job people want. Someone has to do it, but it's not a desirable job. And I don't see any way, there is no way, leave a great situation like Oklahoma or Ohio State to go coach the Cleveland Browns. I mean, Bill Belichick couldn't even win in Cleveland. And and I really feel bad for the Cleveland Browns. I do. Because um, it's kind of a catch-22. They have created a situation where... They need a new head coach and the Browns need a top-level head coach. I think the only way the Browns are going to get out of this misery is you get Baker Mayfield the franchise quarterback hopefully we think and a great head coach. The problem is if you're the if you're any great head coach, why would you go to the Cleveland Browns? Why would you do it? There's no reason to go, especially if you have something good already. I mean, we've seen years and years of misery and coach Turnover after turnover after turnover. I look If I'm Lincoln Riley, I go, I have a great situation. I have job security. I win a bunch of games, making millions of dollars. I go to Cleveland, I'm guaranteed, what, two years maybe? If I don't win in two years, I'm out because that's what they do every year. Every single time the Browns get a head coach, he's there for like two years, if that, and then he's out. You can't have that many coaches fired that quickly. It doesn't work. And I want to ask: Are the Browns better today than before they fired Hugh Jackson? Legitimately, are they? I don't. I'm not convinced they are. I mean, again, I asked the question: You have eight games left. And my first question was: Who is going to facilitate and help develop Baker Mayfield? I found an answer to this question, and it's um, it's actually pretty exciting. There's a silver lining to all of this. Freddie Kitchens is a name. I want you to look it up. Freddie Kitchens. He's a new Browns offensive coordinator. He's going to be the guy helping Baker Mayfield. He's also a former quarterback at Alabama. He coached under Bruce Arians, a great guy. Uh, Look up, there's a great piece by NFL Films all about him, how he's very selfless. Um, Maybe he's the guy. I hope so. I hope he can help Baker Mayfield. I don't know that Freddie Kitchens is the right guy. But hey, that's a start. When I saw that, I was like, okay, that's better than nothing. But call me conservative. I, I don't know that firing a head coach midseason really does all that good. I think the next eight games for the Browns are going to be incredibly stressful, tough, and I'd be, su- I'd, I'd be surprised if they won a lot of games in the next— if they go on a crazy run, win seven of the next eight games, hey, I'm wrong, that's awesome. I don't think that's going to happen. And it seemed like they were building something with Hugh Jackson, and they bailed on it a little too early. I don't know. I don't think Hugh Jackson – don't get me wrong. I do not believe Hugh Jackson is the guy to turn around the Cleveland Browns. I thought he could have been maybe, but I think he's better one-on-one with helping. He's a better – he should be a quarterback coach is what he should be. He did a great job with Andy Dalton. He did – worked. I can't remember the other quarterbacks he's worked with, but he does good as a quarterback coach, and I think that's where Hugh Jackson's limitation lies. He's good in small groups and one-on-one conversations – I don't know that I want him running the whole herd. If the Browns want an elite head coach, here's the thing. The Cleveland Browns must attract a top-level elite head coach if they want to turn this whole thing around. And to do that, they're going to have to give their next coach a John Gruden-style contract. I mean, people just assume... They just assume Lincoln Riley is dying to get out of college football. As if, yeah, of course Lincoln Riley wants to be in the NFL because everybody wants to move up, don't they? Don't they? Do they? I don't think so. I really don't. Why? Again, I ask you this question. Why would you leave Oklahoma? You're winning a bunch of games. You're making millions of dollars and you have job security. You know what you don't have in Cleveland? (laughs) You're not winning and you don't have job security. You're going to make millions of dollars, but two years? He might leave Oklahoma for the Cowboys. That would make sense. It's a good job. Legendary job. You know what's not a legendary job? The Cleveland Browns. And I know it makes sense that Baker Mayfield is there and goes, yeah, they want to work together. I just don't believe that's enough of a draw to pry Lincoln Riley out of Oklahoma. You know what is? You know what would be enough to get Lincoln Riley to Oklahoma? Here's $70 million guaranteed. And here's a seven-year contract. And we're not going to mess with it. We're going to give you time. We'll be patient. Do your thing, Lincoln Riley. Go make it work. If they can get a head coach, give them a ton of money, and then leave it alone, that could actually work in Cleveland. That is what I would do if I was the Cleveland Browns. A seven-year contract, $70 million, and if you fail, you're set for life. That's the only way to attract a great head coach like Lincoln Riley or Urban Meyer. But otherwise, I, I'm not leaving Oklahoma. Where it's, it's like you, you have a great kingdom. You have this wonderful kingdom, grows a lot of crops, people are happy. And then someone offers you, if you get rid of your kingdom, this wonderful thing you love we will give you a slightly bigger kingdom. Oh, but it's filled with swampland. It doesn't grow any crops. It's kind of miserable. Why well, would you do that? You have a good thing going. I don't think Lincoln Riley leaves a good thing unless you guarantee him job security and a lot of money. Seven years, seventy million dollars guaranteed—that gets Lincoln Riley out of Oklahoma, and then the Browns have a chance. But they need a coach like that. They can't go cheap. They can't. Get, they can't get another Hugh Jackson. That's not going to turn things around. I briefly want to mention. Go back to the Cavs. I want to very briefly. Go back to the Cleveland Cavaliers. We've been on Cleveland. Uh, they fired two head coaches within seven days. Oh, man. I feel bad for everybody in Cleveland. I just. Oh. <laughs> the Cavaliers' issue is their owner. I'll repeat that again. The Cleveland Cavaliers' issue is their owner, Dan Gilbert. They had LeBron. Had LeBron, James. Whether you think he's better than LeBron doesn't matter in this circumstance. In the last 10 years, LeBron James is the best basketball player. And Dan Gilbert, instead of embracing LeBron, doing everything he could to keep LeBron around, he fought with him. He argued with him. He wrote a letter shaming him. If I had a guy like LeBron, I'd do everything I possibly can to keep him happy and to give him what he wants. And towards the end, he did do that. I will credit Dan Gilbert. They brought in a lot of veterans, but I don't care. For years, they fought, battled. He had weird comments and threw him under the bus. If you have LeBron James, you never say anything negative about LeBron James if you're the owner. You give LeBron James what you want, and you let the guy go to work because that's LeBron James. I don't understand at all the way that Dan Gilbert has battled with LeBron over the years. It's never made sense to me. And until Dan Gilbert sells the Cleveland Cavaliers to a different ownership group, the Cavaliers are doomed. I'm sorry. I don't like saying that, but I don't care anymore what people think. That's what I believe. It's not going to work. You squandered LeBron. You give. You fired Teron Liu after six games. I don't care who you are. That guy who won you a championship does not deserve that. It's just disrespectful. Fire him at the... After the season or between seasons, don't fire him after six games. That man doesn't deserve that. And that's a bad look. What was the point of that? What was the purpose of wasting everybody's time for all of the preseason, all of training camp, just to fire him six games in? Do you swim halfway across a lake and then say, screw it, we did all this work, but we're just going to turn around and go back? It's a waste of everybody's time. That's what Dan Gilbert did with firing Toronto. I, I, I don't understand it. I don't like Dan Gilbert. And and I'm I'm not objective. I'm I'm angry. I don't care. I I don't understand what Dan Gilbert is doing at all. And um, I think he is the issue for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Dan Gilbert, the Cavaliers owner, that is the issue for the Cavs. Yes, they suck. Yes, they're built for LeBron. Of course, they're not going to win games this year. But the fact that he couldn't recognize that, hello, what did you expect? I don't know, man. I don't get it. And uh, I hope to run Lou coaches again someday in the NBA because I I like him as a person. He's not the best coach, but I I like him. Seems like a nice man. I don't think he deserved to be fired after just six games. Again, the Cavaliers issue is their owner, Dan Gilbert. Uh, We have a great show today. A lot of stuff. How far? We're 22 minutes in already. Oh, my goodness. Um, We have a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, We're going to talk about Jameis Winston. We're going to talk about the Minnesota Vikings. We're going to talk about all the Packers' trades and all their moves, and are the Packers still a playoff team? We'll talk about the Redskins, a lot of stuff. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm actually going to take a short break. I've never done that, um, where I, I go for the whole opening rant and then just take a break. That was a long one. So I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I did go home this weekend. It was amazing. A lot of people have been asking me about that. Um, I, that's why I didn't do a show Monday, actually. I just drove from, you know, I, I left my hometown of Portland, Oregon at 10.30 p.m. On, uh, on Sunday night. Didn't get home until I parked my car at 7 a.m. in Pullman, Washington. It's only a five-and-a-half-hour drive, but I slept a little bit. Without showering, without sleeping at all, I went straight to class. Got out of class at eleven on Monday, went straight to bed. I just couldn't do a show on Monday. It was near. It was literally just an impossible task. So uh, we've kind of backed up. We got a lot of stuff I want to talk about today. It is Wednesday. I want to start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their quarterback Jameis Winston. So on Sunday against the Bengals, Jameis Winston, the Buccaneers' quarterback, was eighteen for thirty-five, had one touchdown and. A horrendous four interceptions. After the fourth interception, the coach, Dirk Cutter, said enough. He cut. he benched Jameis Winston, put in Ryan Fitzpatrick. And uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick actually almost led the Buccaneers back to a victory. Uh, he was 11 for 15, had two touchdowns. And the Buccaneers lost 34 to 37. So if you remember, Ryan Fitzpatrick started the first couple games for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because of Jameis Winston's suspension. He actually played really well. And then eventually the Bucs decided we're going to go back to Jameis Winston. And I supported that. I did. Because the thing is, you got to figure out, is Jameis Winston our franchise quarterback or not? You have to figure it out. Seems like we found the answer pretty quickly. Uh, Jameis Winston already got benched. I mean, I don't know what to say about that. That's He's not playing well. He's playing like... Awful dog crap. Um, he's got good weapons around him. And I'm going to read you the stats. They're horrendous. In 2018, Jameis Winston has only played in four games. He has six touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and four fumbles. In just four games, Jameis Winston has 14 turnovers. Not acceptable, dude. You can't do that. Oh, and by the way, he has a bunch of off-the-field issues. If I was the Buccaneers, i say, we're done. We're cutting bait on Jameis Winston. We're over it. We're moving on. It's harsh, um, but it's true. Just, what have you done for me lately? Nothing. <laughs> Jameis Winston has done nothing but bring misery to the Buccaneers this entire season. I'd stay far away from him and move on. I'd get away. I'm done with Jameis Winston. I, I, don't, I thought, you know, let's see what he has. Maybe he's a better player than we think. No, no, no. And, and Buccaneers fans might get mad at me for saying that. I will stand against a brick wall and defend myself. This is the time to move on from Jameis Winston. He's got off-the-field issues. He's playing like trash. I'm done. I'm done. I'm more done with Jameis Winston than Blake Bortles. I I don't – like, he's – at least Blake Bortles behaves off the field. I'm no longer a – I'm done with Jameis Winston completely. I I said, let's give him a chance. Let's see what he has. We saw what he has. It's no good. And I think the Buccaneers need to move on from Jameis Winston. How about the Vikings? That was a great Sunday night football game. The Vikings, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was it was not very close at the end until you know in garbage time. Finally, uh, what's his face? Kirk Cousins made something happen. But right now, the Vikings are one, two, and one in big games. I'll repeat it again. As of now, the Vikings are one, two, and one in big games. They won one, they lost two, and they tied one of their big games. Tied the Packers beat the Eagles, and lost to the Saints and the Rams. And there are four more big games coming up ahead for the Minnesota Vikings. Play the Bears week 11, the Packers in week 12. Right after that, in week 13, they play the Patriots. And then in week 17, they play the Chicago Bears again. And it is so hard for me not to point at Kirk Cousins. Kirk, with a K. They paid him a ton of money. And the expectation in Minnesota was, we're going to pay Kirk Cousins a lot of money. It's going to be an upgrade over Case Keenum. And we can win a lot more of these close games that we could not win last year. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Because you look at Kirk Cousins, his stats are really great. I mean, on Sunday alone, he was 31 for 41 passing. 359 yards, a bunch of yards, two touchdowns. Had an interception. So did Drew Brees. I'll give him one. But he puts up a lot of stats, mostly in garbage time. I mean, this game was not close at the end. At one point, it was I think thirty to, was it thirty to thirteen? Was that the score? I don't know. And it's this game kind of reminds me of it's similar to the Packers game where it's not all Kirk Cousins' fault. In the Packers game, they had a chance, their kicker blew it, and uh, they tied. And I remember that that fumble by Adam Thielen, as they were driving, really cost the Vikings a lot. And the Vikings are missing a running game. Like I don't know. There are factors going on in the Vikings season. The reason why they're losing some of these close games that are not all Kirk Cousins' fault. But I gotta point out they look, they've had they have eight big games this year. Four down, four to go. So far they're one, two, and one. They gotta have a winning record in these big games to justify all that money they gave to Kirk Cousins. Personally, I actually think the Vikings are fine. I think they're improving. I think they're getting better. I'm just curious to see what happens at the end of the year. When we look back on these eight big games, they have a winning record or a losing record. Like, I, I'm pretty lenient towards the Vikings this year. They have a new quarterback, a new offensive coordinator, John Filippo. And I, I don't think it's fair to say, eight games in, they're trash. Give up on the whole system. No, 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 no. The Vikings are okay. In fact, I think the Vikings are improving. You watch... Slowly but surely, their timing's getting a little bit better. The play calling's improving. They're just getting more comfortable working together as a unit. You know, my best friend's dad is a hiring manager at a company. And uh, I asked him this weekend, because I knew I was going to talk about this, I said, hey, how long until you expect an employee to be really, really comfortable in their job and and fully kind of you take the training wheels off and you trust him? And he said 90 days. That's 13 weeks. I think... That's a very fair amount of time. By week 13, we can expect the Minnesota Vikings to have things rolling full steam ahead, have all the training wheels off, everything running full cylinder. And again, I, I repeat, the Vikings are improving, but I think we're being a little bit harsh. A lot of people are saying, oh, the Vikings suck. They can't win these big games. They lost to Drew Brees. Hi Aaron Rodgers. I do think it matters. Like They have to have a winning record in the end of these eight games. There are eight big games this year. But until week 13, I don't think it's fair to judge the Vikings in these big scenarios because they're learning, they're mastering their craft, and they're trying to get everything running full cylinder. Until they're fully comfortable, I'm not comfortable saying the Vikings are trash and not any good. And again, in fact, I repeat, I believe the Vikings are slowly but surely making a lot of improvements. We'll judge them next year. Next year is going to be even better for the Vikings. Have a full year with Kirk Cousins, a full year with John DiFilippo, then I'm comfortable bringing down the hammer if they don't deliver. But until then, I'm not going to be so harsh on the Vikings because they're still learning how to work together. They're within that 90-day period you give everybody any time they go to any job. You give them a 90-day evaluation period to figure it out. Then you can go and go, hmm, if they haven't figured it out by now, let's can them. Very simple. The Vikings are still in that 90-day evaluation period. Let's shift from the Minnesota Vikings over to the Green Bay Packers. We'll stay in the NFC North. (sighs) The Packers traded away Ty Montgomery. They traded him to the Baltimore Ravens for a 2020 round pick. And in case you didn't pick up on that, that's basically nothing. (laughs) They said, you know what? Instead of cutting Ty Montgomery, we'll give him to you for pennies. And I really like this trade. I think both sides win in this trade. Ty Montgomery was no longer any value. He did not bring any more value to the Green Bay Packers. And the Ravens, on the other hand, maybe they can use him. They might be able to find a good use for Ty Montgomery. I want to describe what I saw on Sunday in the Rams and Packers game. I was so excited. It was a great game. I recorded it, actually. I watched it twice. At the end of the game, Ty Montgomery disobeyed his coaching. Two minutes left. The Packers are receiving a kickoff. They're down 27-29. to All they have to do is get Aaron Rodgers the ball, and he'll probably go down and score the game-winning field goal or touchdown. And instead of taking a knee on the kickoff, Ty Montgomery runs the ball out of the end zone, gets hit, fumbles. Everybody knows this story. I'm just recapping in case you live under a rock. And the Packers coaches told him, Take a knee. Do not run that ball out of the end zone. He didn't listen. He was mad because he got taken out on the previous drive. He's kind of trying to get payback, doing his own thing. And that's why I say the Packers have no use for Ty Montgomery. He's stupid. He rebelled. He divides the locker room. Get rid of him. Not to mention, look, Ty Montgomery is the fourth leading rusher on the Green Bay Packers. He has fewer yards than Aaron Rodgers does. It's like 103 to 116, something like that. All this locker room turmoil that Ty Montgomery created, he cost his team a game, so they got rid of him, and I support that. Ty Montgomery was no longer any use for the Green Bay Packers. Maybe the Ravens can find some kind of use for him. They're low on skill players. It can't hurt the Ravens to have Ty Montgomery, and I think it would have been nothing but damaging for the Packers to hold on to Ty Montgomery. That was not the only trade that the Packers did. Uh, the Packers also traded away ha-ha Clinton Dix. This was a weird one for me. I don't understand what the Packers were thinking. Uh, I don't know why the Packers made this move. The Packers traded away a 20— Sorry, excuse me. The Packers traded away their starting safety, ha-ha Clinton Dix. And in return, they got a 2019 fourth-round draft pick. And I do understand. From what I've heard, the reason for trading away— The safety is because his contract was set to expire at the end of the year they didn't want to pay him more money and so they said we'll trade him we'll get something for him rather than letting him walk in free agency no matter how you look at it i think the packers lost this trade the ravens who got excuse me the redskins the redskins who got ha ha clinton Dix, won this trade far and away absolutely Ha-Ha Clinton Dix has been a starter his entire career. You could say he's a marginal player. I think that's a fair assessment. He's not a great NFL player. But he's solid. He's a starter. He can contribute to your roster. And Ha-Ha Clinton Dix is better than a fourth-round draft pick. Sorry, but all the Packers are going to do is turn around and use a draft pick to try and replace Ha-Ha Clinton Dix. So what was the point? You just wasted everybody's time. You're going to have to replace him didn't really do anything to help you. I don't know. I mean, ha-ha, Clinton Dix is 25 years old. It's not like trading away some old 30-year-old wide receiver who's about to retire anyways. No, this was a player you used who started for you for years. I I do not get this move at all. I don't know what the Packers benefit from it. I guess trying to get rid of something before, but I would have re-signed him. I don't know what their purpose was. I don't know why they traded him away, and it was very concerning from a perspective. I think the Packers are a playoff team, And it's like, do they believe they're a playoff team? I saw a report, the general manager for the Packers said, we're not giving up on our season. Yes, sir. Because it looks like you are. You're trading away starters for nothing. Ty Montgomery made sense to me. Ha ha, Clinton Dix, that's a weird trade I I can't get on board with. I don't understand. I think the Redskins won this trade. It's great for the Redskins. I'm happy for them. Now, while we're talking about the Redskins, I think it's worth acknowledging Adrian Peterson. I am blown away by Adrian Peterson so far this year. Um, I just have a lot of respect for him. I think at some point, Adrian Peterson's season is going to wane. I think at some point, he's a 33-year-old man, a running back, taking a bunch of hits in his career. At some point, it's going to peter off. I just don't see it continuing. But on Sunday for the Redskins, Adrian Peterson had 149 yards, 26 carries, a touchdown. He did fumble. But he made up with it with a receiving touchdown. A guy that old to have two touchdowns, over 100 yards rushing. um, It's just really cool. Uh, I remember growing up, I had a poster of Adrian Peterson on the wall. And uh, I'm I'm happy for him, man. I I lived for a little bit in Minnesota as a kid. And I always loved Adrian Peterson. I I hope it's clear. I don't believe it's going to continue. I think at some point, Adrian Peterson is going to slow down. But I like what's happening. It's a good story. I'm rooting for him. I just don't know if the Redskins can keep it up. But this Ha ha Clinton Dix trade, it's encouraging. If you're a Redskins fan, you go, not only are we winning, our running backs playing well, our quarterbacks playing well, we just got better on defense. All around, I feel good about the Redskins. I don't know. I still think they're gonna crumble at some point, but my argument's looking thinner and thinner every week. Every every week Adrian Peterson succeeds. Every week the Redskins win. And they just traded for a good defensive player. It all looks like everything's going for in favor of the Washington Redskins. I might be wrong. I'm getting ready to eat some humble pie. I might be wrong about the Redskins. But I will say this until i blue in the face. I do believe at some point the Redskins are going to deteriorate. I don't think they're even going to make the playoffs. Here's who I do think is going to make the playoffs. I still very much believe that the Green Bay Packers are a playoff team. I do. They lost to the Rams this week 27 to 29 and I actually watched that game and was encouraged. You're telling me the Packers are 2 points away from beating the the Rams? All the Packers had to do is get Aaron Rodgers the ball if they had cuz they fumbled the kickoff. If they'd given Aaron Rodgers the ball, I think the Packers win that game. I do. They have the Patriots next week. That's going to be an ugly game. Um, But after that, so I I predicted that the Packers were going to lose to the Patriots and the Rams. But after that, the last eight games of the year for the Packers are fantastic. Look at their season. They play the Dolphins, the Cardinals. They play the Falcons in December in Lambeau Field at Green Bay in the cold, in the snow, in the winter. I don't think the Falcons, a dome team, are prepared to play in December in Lambeau Field. They play the Jets, the Packers play the Seahawks, the Bears, the Lions. Oh, and they play the Vikings. That'll be a tough game. I think the Vikings win that game. But it's very possible the Packers finish the year nine and six. Sorry, nine six and one, or ten five and one. I believe the Packers are going to grab the final wild card spot. And here's who the Packers are competing against. The Packers' competition for that final wildcard spot is the Seattle Seahawks, the Atlanta Falcons, the Chicago Bears, and whoever is second place in the NFC East, probably the Washington Redskins. Down the stretch, November, December, the team I believe in is the team with Aaron Rodgers. I believe in the Packers. I might be crazy. But I've said, look, Patriots next week, it's going to be a tough game. I expected them to lose to the Rams. But after that, the final eight games of the year for the Packers, they could win seven of the last eight games. Packers are sitting pretty. They're really, really legitimately okay. They're ninth in passing in the NFL. They're 25th in rushing. 12th in total offense. That's good. Here's the numbers I want to talk about, though. They have the seventh best defense in the NFL from yards allowed. They're 17th in points a lot. So 7th best defense in the NFL, in my opinion. They're in the top 10. And uh, the Packers roster is kind of middle of the pack. But that's all they need to be because Aaron Rodgers, with an average roster, is good enough. A top 10 defense, a solid offensive line, a good coach, and an elite to great quarterback. That's a playoff team. I firmly believe that. Green Bay Packers are still a playoff team. I uh in the preseason, I was really concerned about the Rams. Don't want to repeat that again. In the preseason, I was really, really concerned about the LA Rams. They made a move for Marcus Peters. They made a move for Endomic and Sue. they acquired Aqib Talib, and all my concern was stupid. <laughs> I was like, you know, my fear was, all the personalities in that locker room is going to be a huge issue. No, no, no. I was dead wrong. Right now, the Rams are 8-0, and they've passed every single test that has gone their way. Oh, and by the way, the Rams, the 8-0 team, the best team in the NFL... They just got better. <laughs> as scary as that sounds, they just traded for Dante Fowler, the Jaguars defensive end. In 2015, Dante Fowler was a number three overall pick. And uh, the Rams gave up a 2019 third round pick and a 2025th round pick to get him. The reason why the Jaguars gave up Dante Fowler was because of his off the field issues. And I'm not concerned. I'm not at all worried about the -the off-the-field issues that Dante Fowler has. My perspective is this. Look, he's 24 years old. You're going to team him up with Ndamukong Sue and Aaron Donald, which means he's going to be incredibly productive. He's only got two sacks this year. I think it's going to get much better. This is a great move for the Rams because not only does football work out, Aaron Donald leads the NFL in sacks. You team him up with a capable defensive end. Oh, and Ndamukong they're fine. Dante Fowler's not the best defensive end in the NFL, not by a long shot. But he's better than what they had. He's an improvement, and that's really scary. The Rams just got better. Oh, oh no. And I have friends that play defensive end for the Rams. My buddy Samson Ibukom, great guy. Dante Fowler, that's awesome. That, That room just got more competitive. A lot of stuff's going on. I think this matters. This is a big deal. And the reason why I'm not worried about Dante Fowler's personality. Like cuz you you keep adding more and more personalities, eventually they're going to tip over the edge and there's going to be a problem. You would think, right? This locker room can only handle five bad personalities. You add a sixth, boom, implosion. No, no, no. I'm not worried at all. There's a great locker room in place in LA. We saw a moment at the end of the Packers game I was so impressed with. Up 29 to 27. 54 seconds left, Todd Gurley was running towards the end zone, had a free shot at the end zone, and instead went down to the ground and and fell inbounds, downing the ball, and uh, gave up a touchdown. Todd Gurley gave up an opportunity to make his personal stats better because he wanted to win the game and run up the clock. Said he doesn't care about Vegas, doesn't care about all these fantasy teams. I don't, fantasy points is so stupid, I don't care. And I love this quote tremendously. The reason why the Rams locker room, not this quote, this move. The reason why the Rams locker room is so great is because you have people like Todd Gurley leading the way. Todd Gurley is a shining example that the personalities in the Rams locker room have not at all had an issue. When you have guys like that to set the tone, you have a great culture in place in that Rams locker room. Okay, before we take another short break, um, I want to talk about two big trades that went on in the NFL, two big receiver trades. Uh, I don't know they're they're big. Big is not the right word. Two meaningful receiver trades in the NFL. So just recently, the the Eagles just traded for Lions wide receiver Golden Tate. Lions got a third-round pick, a 2019 third-round pick. And the Eagles get Golden Tate, a 30-year-old wide receiver who has three touchdowns, 44 catches, and 517 yards on the season. I remembered 44 catches. That's not even written in my notes. This is a a great, great move for the Eagles. They just upgraded again. It seems like the Eagles and the Rams just get better and better and better every single week. It's scary. I really believe the most interesting playoff battle is the Redskins and the Eagles. That that tight battle is just going to be... It's going to be down to the wire. I think that at some point the Redskins are going to peter off. And I think every week the Eagles just get better and better and better. Never forget, the Eagles just won the Super Bowl. They had a weird hangover. Their quarterback was coming off of an ACL tear. I don't know. I think this trade for Golden Tate is a very meaningful trade for the Philadelphia Eagles. Golden Tate is not an amazing wide receiver, but he is a playmaker. And that difference between the Redskins and the Eagles, I mean, so the the Redskins added HaHa Clinton-Dix, and the Eagles added Golden Tate. That's going to be a wonderful game. I can't wait to watch the Redskins and the Eagles. I believe the Eagles are a better team with more athletes, a better quarterback, better coach. I think the Redskins are a bit outmatched against the Philadelphia Eagles, and that is why I think the Philadelphia Eagles are the team that will win the NFC East and Adding a guy like Golden Tate is a tremendous, tremendous advantage in that battle. They have better athletes, and they upgraded. I- I'm really excited for the Eagles. Adding Golden Tate was a big move. Another team in contention also added a new wide receiver. So the Houston Texans are number one in the AFC South. They're 5-3. and three. And in the Texans' win over the Miami Dolphins last week, one of their wide receivers, Will Greer, uh, sorry, Will Fuller. Will Greer is the quarterback for West Virginia. Will Fuller, the Texans wide receiver, tore his ACL, is out for the year. And so to make up for this trade, the Texans decided to acquire Demarius Thomas from the Denver Broncos. The Broncos got a 2019 fourth round pick. Texans got Demarius Thomas. They also swapped seventh round picks. Um, I really believe this trade helps keep the Texans in first place. This matters. This does. Demarius Thomas is a good move for the Texans. And I think it's interesting that Texans play the Broncos on Sunday. I don't know what's going to happen, um, but I really think... That, and first, I want, to, want you to imagine this. If you're Demarius Thomas, you live in Denver. You fly to Houston for like four days to work out, play for your new team. Then you fly back to Denver to play a game in Denver against your old team. It's such a weird move. Um, for, for Demarius Thomas, it's a weird like five couple days. But ultimately for the Texans, this is a great move. It's really, really good for them because they needed a wide receiver. He helps them tremendously. And I think this is the ultimate thing that will get the Texans over the hump. This is why I'm picking the Texans to win the AFC South. I like the Colts. I think the Colts are gonna have a, a great resurgence this year. I don't think it's gonna be enough. But I'm not I'm not going with the Jaguars. I'm not going with Marcus Mariota and the Titans. The Texans are going to win the AFC South in part because they acquired a new wide receiver, Demarius Thomas, from the Denver Broncos. All right, we have. So, up ahead, we're going to talk about the World Series. I'm going to talk about Kyle of the Giants quarterback. I'll make my predictions for Thursday Night Football. We'll do the Deadly Dozen. And we're going to do Zach as a Genius, guys. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do all those topics I just mentioned. Uh, my name is Zach Shalmer. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. My name is Zach Shalmer. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, my, i got to say, before we get into the third segment of the show, um, I've been dying, like in real life. I, I just um. A lot of my life's kind of in flux tremendously in a lot of ways. I'm probably transferring at the end of the semester, and uh, I, I I don't know if this show is going well. Like honestly, I don't know if this episode of the podcast is a good one or not. Um, but I I just am swamped like in real life uh, with work and with school and with trying to transfer and trying to figure out my life and a lot of changes going on. So um, I hope you know that I'm really grateful for this show. You know, strong opinion sports is my favorite thing in the entire world, and it really has given me something to get my mind off of every bad thing going on every every stressful thing all this a lot of noise is going on in my life and all over the place and this show is a constant like a like a pole rooted in my life where i can go you can pour your stress and your every all your everything into this show and so if you're listening i just want to say i'm really grateful for you listening and taking the time um it does mean a tremendous amount to me i just got off the phone it was a uh, it, it's a I'm just—I got a lot going on, and I'm really grateful that you guys still listen and still engage with me and still, uh, still care. It means the world to me. I want to talk about the World Series. I'll be very honest. The World Series disappointed me. Um, (laughs) The Red Sox won the series in five games. It was a you know four to one series, and it just didn't feel very competitive. It just—it felt like the Red Sox victory was always inevitable. Didn't like it. I mean the Dodgers were sloppy. The Red Sox were elite. They played great. They were incredible. And I just I wanted a longer World Series with more drama and we didn't get that. The minute the Red Sox went up 3 to 1, I just checked out. I was like, "Yeah, it's over. Like it's not going to work." I mean, the one time the Dodgers won a game in this series took a miracle. It had to be 18 innings just so the Dodgers could win one game. It was awful. So, I'm happy for Boston. Congratulations to Boston. I don't know how many championships you guys have, but like between basketball, hockey, the Bruins have won in my lifetime, the Patriots, the Celtics. I've seen every single team in Boston win a championship in my lifetime. And uh, it's kind of like, man, Boston. You want to talk about city of champions, people say LA is. Boston, my goodness, they win at everything. Seriously, the Red Sox, they deserve it. I'm happy for them. Um, And Clayton Kershaw massively underwhelmed me. He just disappointed me. Clayton Kershaw, what the heck was that? He got outpitched by Chris Sale. I don't know. Um, I've been hearing about the legend of Clayton Kershaw my whole life. I don't watch baseball very often. And when I did see Clayton Kershaw, I was quite disappointing. I was like, that's what you got? I heard he's always worse in the playoffs, but man, apparently, like seriously, he just was not impressive at all. And uh, all around, the World Series to me was just a disappointment, kind of a letdown. I wanted more drama. I didn't want 18 innings. I wanted close, intense baseball. We got that, I guess, for what it was. Um, But it just never quite satisfied me the way I wanted it to. I'll I'll take that back. Game 1 and 2 were interesting. Game 3 was far too long. And uh, honestly, looking back at the World Series and kind of baseball in general this year, the best game I watched was the Dodgers-Brewers. The game that I think right before they clinched, there was a game that went to extra innings. And it was awesome. Ryan Braun was on second base. I'll never forget it. And I was like, ah, I'm so interested in this. And the World Series never got me the same way that the NLCS did. It just never never captured me the way I wanted it to. And I felt kind of disappointed by the World Series this year. It wasn't what I wanted. Let's talk about the New York Giants. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, the Giants. The Giants. The Giants. So... Giants backup quarterback Kyle Lalletta was arrested. <laughs> it's, oh, I feel so bad for Giants fans. Uh, he was charged with eluding police and resisting arrest. On Tuesday morning, uh, the arrest time was 8 a.m. He nearly ran over a police officer. And, and on Tuesday afternoon, he, did, he was released. He was got, let out of custody. Um, he was trying to make an illegal right turn. From the wrong lane, and police flagged him down. Said, "No, no, no," and the officer said, "Go straight instead." He didn't listen. He went right, almost hit an officer. It's kind of a mess. Got arrested, and uh, a buddy of mine mentioned Kyle Oletto was probably running late. You look at the time of the arrest. The all the documents say 8 p.m. or 8 a.m. This is kind of harsh, but it's also true. A franchise quarterback gets to the building at 5:30 in the morning. They're never in traffic around 8 a.m. It's never a problem for them. And I look at Kyle Letta, and my guess is he probably was running late. And that's not becoming of a franchise quarterback. Everyone tells me, we want Kyle Letta to be our guy in New York. And uh, it it reminds me of the Broncos begging for Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly got arrested the other day and got released. It's like, you guys are delusional. I, I don't know why everyone thinks Kyle Letta is the guy. Maybe I'm wrong, but Kyle Lauletta, why is he on the road at, I'll give him the benefit of that, maybe 7 a.m. He's on the road because it took an hour to get arrested. I don't care. Your franchise quarterback gets there at 5.30. If you want to be considered the guy, you get there that early in the morning. You do all the extra work. I don't know why Kyle Laletta. I, I just don't understand. I don't support it. I don't get why Giants fans are so excited. Kyle Lauletta is our guy. No, he isn't. <laughs> Hello? Um... I don't know. And the Giants are talking about, well, maybe we're going to bench Eli Manning. For who? Alex Tanney, the trickshot quarterback? That's the other Giants' backup. You got this joker who just got arrested. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know I don't know what the Giants are going to do at quarterback. I don't think anybody on their roster is the answer to be the Giants' franchise quarterback. Uh, I mean, look, the best quarterback they have is Alex Tanney, that guy who has awesome videos. He went to UConn. He's got like all these trick shot videos. He throws the ball through like a basketball hoop and stuff. It's pretty cool, but man, Kyle Aletta got arrested, and it, it's a shock, um, and it's really unbecoming of a potential franchise quarterback. It makes me have. Ser- I, I've always had serious doubts about Kyle Aletta. I never had concerns off the field, and now I suddenly have concerns off the field. Man, poor poor Giants fans. <clears throat> So on uh, Thursday Night Football, the 49ers play the Ra- uh, the Raiders. I'll repeat that again. On Thursday Night—I'm I- a mess today. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> uh, on Thursday Night Football, the 49ers play the Raiders. And, uh, you know, it's a very interesting game because both teams have terrible records. The Raiders are 1-6. The 49ers are 1-7. I think the 49ers have a better roster. But the Raiders have a better quarterback, in part because you know Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers quarterback, got hurt. Then the 49ers backup quarterback, C.J. Beathard, got hurt. And the 49ers might be starting their third-string quarterback, Nick Mullins. Uh, that's, it's just not good. I don't know. I'm picking the Raiders because of all the uncertainty at quarterback for the 49ers. I think the Raiders are going to win this game. I prefer the 49ers coach, Kyle Shanahan. I think he's a better offensive mind. Here's why this game to me is so interesting. I think it's going to be highly competitive, at least I hope it is. And, uh, you know, the 49ers and the Raiders do not have much to play for. They're just, I mean, like, they're both awful. The Raiders are about to leave the the Bay Area completely. And so uh, that's kind of why I'm curious about this game is it's the battle for the Bay. And one of the last few we're ever going to get because I think two years from now, they're going to be in Vegas. So we better enjoy them while they last. This is going to be a game I'm, I'm very excited for. I think it's interesting. It's exciting. It's, it's kind of a toilet bowl, but it's against two teams that are, I think, evenly matched. It's going to be ugly and messy and going to come down to the end, I hope. And in the end, I'm picking the Raiders, but it's going to be a sloppy game, and I hope the 49ers win. I'm rooting for the 49ers. I don't believe in them, but I'm partial because all my fans are 49er fans, and uh, we shall find out. But uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I think the Raiders are going to win in the end. Okay, I'm gonna do the deadly dozen. It's gonna be weird this week. I'm just gonna read you what I have because my deadly dozen has not changed from last week. Remember, my deadly dozen every week is I say, these are the 12 playoff teams. Instead of doing a power ranking, I don't like that because, you know, last year, for example, the Chargers were on everybody's power ranking list. They didn't even make the playoffs. So what I do is I pick 12 playoff teams. I encourage you, if you want deep analysis, go back and watch last week. My Deadly Dozen literally has not changed at all from last week. My six teams in the AFC are this. The Chiefs, the Patriots, the Steelers, and the Texans. In the wild card, I'm picking the Chargers and the Ravens. I think they have the best quarterbacks of all the remaining teams. And those are my six teams in the AFC. In the NFC, I'm picking the Rams, the Saints, the Vikings, and the Eagles all to win their divisions. I'm picking the Panthers and the Packers to make the wild card spot. Those are my 12 deadly dozen playoff teams. It's not that exciting this week because nothing's changed. I still don't think the Redskins are going to make the playoffs. And I wonder if this segment's going to die simply because I don't see this changing at all from the next— I mean, I would be shocked. I would be so surprised if my deadly dozen change at all between now and the time we are done with the NFL season because I think these are, in fact, the 12 playoff teams there could be some flux. Maybe the Ravens get swapped with the Chargers. Maybe something happens, but I don't know. Um, but right now, again, the 12 playoff teams I see. The 12 teams I see making the playoffs are in the AFC, the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Steelers, the Texans, the Chargers, and the Ravens. And in the NFC, the Rams, the Saints, the Vikings, the Eagles, the Panthers, the Cam Newton, and the Green Bay Packers. All right, uh, last segment of the day I want to do. Um, this one's near and dear to my heart. I, I, I really, really enjoy this segment. This is Zach is a genius. Uh, it's very self-deprecating. I'm obviously making fun of myself. What I do is I, I take a big swing and sometimes I completely miss. Sometimes I hit home runs. And so I have three things, four things, excuse me, I want to talk about that I completely have missed on recently, and three things that I've, I've nailed that I want to talk about. So we'll start with the things I missed. The first thing I missed was the Rams' locker room. Before the season started, one of my concerns about the Rams was that their locker room was not very stable. They had a lot of personalities, Marcus Peters, Aqib Talib, and Dominic and Sue and I was like, this, this team... I don't know. My one concern about the Rams was can they keep it together with all the personalities in their locker room? We saw a moment last week against the Packers. Todd Gurley, 54 seconds left, has a clear shot to the end zone, decided, you know what? I'm going to go down, inbounds, run out the clock. We're going to win this ball game. What that showed me was the leader of the Rams is completely unselfish. And when you have a leader like Todd Gurley, And it doesn't help to have Jared Goff. I think he's another great leader. Those guys at the head of the Rams locker room set the tone, and that is why the Rams locker room has completely worked and why I was completely, I completely missed on the Rams' personalities. I thought maybe that's an issue. Nope, not at all. I got a hilarious thing I want to tell you. Um, On Friday on my show, I talked about how it's possible that Florida State could upset Clemson. So there's a chance Clemson loses, you know. It's Florida State's got a bunch of good athletes. We're in Tallahassee, Florida. Clemson has a freshman quarterback. No, 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 no. I was so so off. I completely missed on this one. Clemson beat Florida State 59 to 10. There's a guy in the stands literally just reading a book cuz he's so bored by the game. It's hilarious. And uh that freshman quarterback Trevor Lawrence for Clemson had four touchdowns. I completely missed there was not a chance that Clemson was going to be upset by Florida State on Saturday. My third thing I want to talk about that I completely missed on earlier this year is I made a video called Jim Harbaugh will be fired. And the premise of this video was that Ohio State's coach Urban Meyer wins 90% of his games. And I said, no matter what Jim Harbaugh does, he'll never be able to live up to Urban Meyer. And at some point, Michigan's going to get tired of that and fire him. Jim Harbaugh can't win 10 games a year and never win a, a Big 10 championship. That's not enough. Well, right now Ohio State and Michigan are both 7 and 1, and on November 24th they play each other at Ohio State. This is an opportunity for me to have missed this. If John Harbaugh, Jim Jim Harbaugh, if Jim Harbaugh can beat Urban Meyer, on November 24th in Ohio State, and then go on to win the Big Ten championship, he's in no danger of being fired because he once and for all will have bested Urban Meyer. It matters. Urban Meyer versus Jim Harbaugh, that's a real rivalry that people in Michigan care about because you have to beat Ohio State. This There's a chance this year that Michigan does, and my video about you know John Har- Jim Harbaugh is going to be fired could be completely, completely wrong. My fourth thing I want to talk about is the idea—I made a video called uh, The Browns' Unhelpful Expectations. And I was talking about how the coaches—it's it's hilarious to me. In this video, I talked about how the Browns' coaches were fighting, and I said it doesn't matter at all. I said that the Browns' expectations are going to cost them. I said early in the year, they're going to be underachieving, 2-5-1 and one, maybe, and that's why the Browns are going to fire Hugh Jackson. However, in the end, I have an opposite view. In fact, I was completely off. I think that the fighting between Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson, that bickering among the leadership, that is why Hugh Jackson was fired, and I think I missed on the Browns early this year when I made that prediction. How about things I nailed? There are things, a lot of things I nailed this week. Uh, Pick six was a great segment last Friday. I went five and one. The Chiefs beat the Broncos. I called that. Steelers beat the Browns. I called that. I said the Panthers would beat the Ravens. Saints beating the Vikings, Eagles beating the Jaguars. I got five out of my six picks completely correct. The only one I missed was the Jets did lose to the Bears in Chicago. And I was surprised by that because they hadn't, the Bears had no Khalil Mack. And Mitch Trubisky played well, I guess. But the difference for the Jets and the Bears, the reason why the Jets lost to the Bears was the Jets simply couldn't run the ball. And that doesn't matter. You got to have a good quarterback. To help your quarterback, you got to be able to run the ball. The other thing I nailed last week was, and really all year, I've said, be patient with Andrew Luck. Well, I'm seeing a lot of stories now. Andrew Luck is becoming elite again. I'm seeing the word elite thrown around, a lot of reports, a lot of yada yada. Andrew Luck looks fantastic. I said all preseason, give Andrew Luck until November before you judge him. Nailed it. I was right. Told you guys. He really has developed. He's getting better. His arm looks better. I just said, you got to give him time to get back to his old self. It's literally, it's November 1st in <laughs> four hours from now. And uh, I, I nailed it. I told you guys, give Andrew Luck time. Giving him time. It's November now and again in four or five hours. And uh, he looks elite again. Last thing I nailed last week. I got two really great predictions on college football upsets. I said that unranked Northwestern might beat Wisconsin. They did. Uh, number 20, Wisconsin lost because they had a backup quarterback. And really, Wisconsin struggled throwing the ball all year. It's, it's really, really ugly. They had a game where they gave, in Michigan, I think their quarterback was 3 for 26. Some ridiculous, terrible number. And uh, Wisconsin lost to an unranked Northwestern team, 31 to 17. The other game I predicted was, I predicted Syracuse would beat number 22, NC State. Nailed it. I was right. Uh, the Syracuse beat NC state 51 to 41 and, uh, Syracuse quarterback, Ryan dungey he's a stud. He's from my hometown. He is not an NFL quarterback, but he is so much better than people give him credit for. He had three passing touchdowns. Also had a rushing touchdown. I don't know how you go from Lake Oswego, Oregon, all the way to Syracuse, New York, but he did. And, uh, he's really, really made it happen. I'm happy for, uh, Eric Dungey. I'm happy for Syracuse. They upset NC state. And uh, all in all, guys, that has been Zach is a Genius. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for listening to my show. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. My name is Zach Shalmer. Thank you so much. Have a great day. But um bum Bam. We are done. Bye.